Hey everyone, my name is Yaro and you're listening to the Creative Nature Podcast. Happy New Year if you're celebrating the Gregorian calendar. I hope you're well, I hope you're warm and cozy and not overwhelmed by unrealistic <laughs> intentions for the new year, but just a kind of steady, grounded arriving in a new chapter. I'm really, really happy to send this interview your way. I've talked to Gabriela de Goya of the Betwixt and Between, who is so many things, but um, mainly in the context of this conversation, a spiritual care provider, a writer, an artist, a facilitator who is just so generous and so devoted to um, beautiful practices such as tarot and dream work and divination and just holding space for people to find answers for the really, really big questions in life. Listening back just now by candlelight in the dark of Scottish winter felt just perfect and I'm really excited for you to listen as well. So thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you'll love this. Please check Gabriella's website out. It is incredibly beautiful and I'll speak to you soon. Hello everyone. I know I say this a lot, but just really sitting here again with like deep gratitude and excitement for this conversation. I'm speaking to Gabriella of the Betwixt and Between. Um, I've known you, let me think, it feels like forever, but that's not actually true. <laughs> we know each other through um, our mutual teacher, Lara Vileda Vesta. I think that's how we first came into each other's worlds. And I just have been super lucky in the last few months to witness um, the, yeah, the launching. Although launching doesn't feel quite right, it feels a little bit too ordinary because it was such a magical process. But I've been witnessing, you know, your your business being shared in the world and how it came to be and what it stands for now. It just feels so really heartened and touched and inspired by how you do things. I have a bunch of questions. I'm just really excited to ask you and I'm grateful you made time. I wish people saw what I saw because your setup is so beautiful and you look so cozy and it feels like this is part of your magic too. So thank you so much for being here and talking to me. Oh my God. Thank you, Yaro. The pleasure <laughs> is also mine. I really admire your work and I'm really happy to be here for this conversation. Thank so, you. and not just your work, but like who you are. <laughs> thank yeah. you so much. Yeah. Well, um, do you want to begin by just telling us a little bit about your work? You can really go as deep and far as you wish. I think it probably has its own origin story. So feel free to share anything that you want. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, so my name is Gabriella Tegolia. My pronouns are both she and they, and I am the foundress of a small spiritual care um, practice slash organization slash business um, that's called the Betwixt and Between. And the term that I use to describe what I do professionally is that I'm a spiritual care provider. And most people, when they hear that, they're like, wait, what, like, what does that mean? Like, what do you do actually? And I love, I love expanding on what I do because it's very multifaceted um, within the spiritual care realms. I work both one-on-one -on -one with people and also in more like group settings. Um, but the modalities that I work with are numerous. Um, so I'll try to keep this succinct, but um, I'm a trained spiritual director, which is a form of spiritual companion that um, really walks along like my role is to walk alongside people as they deepen their spiritual 
journeys and seek to come into a greater understanding of what spirit and spirituality means for them. Um, I'm also a dream worker, so I support people in familiarizing themselves with um, their inner landscapes, their spiritualities, and the world around them through the lens of their dreams. Um, and I, I'm also a tarot reader, um, so I think a lot of people probably know what that means, but um, I use uh, cards as a form of divination to support people in um, coming to greater clarity about an important question in their life. Um, and last but not least, I also call myself a devotional mentor. So I support people in um, establishing and sustaining uh, devotional or ritual practices that are of importance to them um, and that, you know, help them feel nourished in their relationships with themselves and with the divine. So just like, I guess, close out all of that. Um, really what I see myself is, is someone who helps people deepen their relationships, like primarily with themselves and with their understanding of, you know, the sacred or however they want to call it, but hopefully in so doing um, with their communities and other people and the world around them, because I think that spiritual care is really, um, it's, it's very tied up for me with uh, efforts towards collective liberation. And so the tagline for my business is called spiritual care for liminal times, because I think that we are all collectively residing in a very, very liminal place with the world that was quote unquote once known is very much gone. Um, but we don't totally know where we're going. We don't know the world that we're, you know, building, trying to build, um, but we have dreams of what that might look like. And so we're in this sort of middle realm where we're trying to navigate the unknown while grieving the losses that we've sustained and also building a future that we adore. And that's a place where I think spiritual care can offer a lot of nourishment. Um, and help us to trust in ourselves and trust in processes that span beyond our own realm of knowledge and understanding. Cause we don't know everything. We don't know necessarily what's coming. Um, and so, yeah, just having spiritual support, I think is really important for the existential questions that that kind of liminal space brings up. So that's a lot. I'll stop there, <laughs> but I'm happy to expand <laughs> on any of it. Yeah. Thank you. That makes so much sense. I feel full body tingles just, um, just, thinking about the beauty of how you brought all these things together which I know is not easy because we don't have many role models but you articulated this so beautifully like yeah there is so much grief right now uncertainty a longing for a different kind of future and I love the word adoration that you use it's like yeah I want to adore the future I also want to adore the present <laughs> but but yeah those are yeah those are interconnected processes right mm -hmm. Yeah, um, and if I could just expand on something yeah. just on what you're saying, like most of my practices, well, well, really all of my practices, including the one, the one that most people would think is a future-oriented one, which is tarot. I never use tarot for future prediction purposes. For me, tarot as well as dream work, devotional mentorship, and spiritual direction, they are all rooted in the present moment because I think that when we can establish a deep relationship with this moment then we are far more likely to be able to water the seeds of the future that we wish to build, that we wish to see happen. Um, and so, you know, I think that there are definitely ways that future oriented frameworks actually justify like violence in the present, either towards oneself or towards others. Um, so I'm speaking simultaneously here of saying like, you know, it's, it's, my work is future oriented in the sense that I long to help build a future where all beings can be truly free. And the way that I do that is by supporting myself and others and really, really digging deep into the soils of this moment so that we can come to clarity about 
root causes of things and appropriately tend to, um, you know, the, the seeds and the plants that we want to like see flourish. So yeah, just wanted to expand on that a little bit. Oh yeah. I love that. And I had never articulated that in my own head in the way that you just said, like, Oh, I, I would, maybe you can say again, because it was so good. Like the idea of, um, doing harm in the moment by being future oriented oh gosh I I don't I really am misphrasing now but can you say that again I loved it so much yeah yeah um just the notion that um future oriented frameworks are way more likely to justify harm in the present moment because the present is seen as like less important than an abstract future I mean that's what you know quote-unquote progress is all about right (laughs) like like notions of progress yeah, 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 absolutely. And I think my body remembers these ideas of delayed gratification. Mm-hmm. Diet culture, for example, is like one idea that comes to mind of like, you know, the present moment doesn't matter if you can work towards a different kind of future. Wow. Yeah. Thank you so much. I, I Like I said, sometimes someone expresses something in a way and you're like, whoa, I've been living with this, but I, I've never thought about it that way. That's so great. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, and I wish I could remember the scholar who who really helped me start to see things in that way. Um, they wrote a book called Reports from a Wild Country, which was an ethnography about Aboriginal communities in Australia that I read in college and just the ways in which future-oriented frameworks justify colonialism and they justify so much destruction in the present moment and that's not to say that we can't be responsible in our actions right now in order to um, sustain ourselves so that we can live well in the future like I'm not I'm not saying like just be I don't know unhealthily hedonist in the present and like forget about the importance of the future what I'm just saying is like um, for me the means and the ends must resonate with each other they must be the same you can't act violently right now whether that's like you know, there are different forms of violence. You can't act violently right now and then say the future that we build through that will be, you know, not violent. Like that's just, to me, that's just a nonsensical statement. So that's kind of, yeah, I'll, I'll try to, I'll try to find the author who um, uh, primed me to this thinking and then maybe you can include in the show notes. Thank you. Yeah. Ooh. Um, I would love to hear a little bit more about where you are in your own spirituality at the moment. Again, you can take that anywhere you like. You can tell us about your practices or your background or how you came to what feels currently true to you. There's so many interesting aspects to this. Yeah, I'm happy to share. And um, I think I'll sort of tell the story of my journey. I feel like um, adding the sort of historical background to my journey will help to explain like where I am right now. Um, which is that I grew up in a family that um, wasn't atheist, but we weren't, um, we didn't have like a regular spiritual practice or community that we really frequented. Um, But my maternal grandparents were very devoutly Catholic. um, And I, even though I didn't necessarily agree with everything that they said, and especially the ways that, that the Catholic Church led them to have certain political views. Um, I was really enamored by their faith and like the fact that they were in such a deep relationship with an unseen mystery. Like to me, at least it felt like an unseen mystery. That was really, really magical and powerful for me. And the way that I basically tried to emulate that was through what many would call nowadays like, oh, magic practices. Like I had more of an animist, witchy uh, inclination in my younger years. And then as many of us experience, that's like 
poo-pooed and like said like we're told that that's like dumb or like whatever and so I I grew away from that and I also grew away from like the Christianity of my family heritage just because you know um so many dogmas and political um um inclinations on the part of the church were really not great in my eyes so I kind of threw the baby out with the bathwater in that regard for a long time but in college I started my um studies as an astronomy and religion double major um so I've always been very um fascinated with the ways in which the heavens were mapped both scientifically and spiritually and so those studies that came together for me in college and I didn't end up finishing with either of those majors but um, I still really held those questions in my mind even when I ended up majoring in uh government I had a poli-sci major and that that really resonates with my questions about science and spirituality because all three of those things deal with what is the relationship between the part and the whole like how does a planet orbit a sun how does a a a citizen or a resident of a country engage with the political systems that they are nested within um and like how does an like you know how does an atom function like how does a molecule function like you know there are all these layers of interaction between all these all these things and so the questions that I was holding in my mind as I studied were really really resonant even though the studies were different and in my senior year I was super stressed and the rabbi of my school actually recommended that I take his um pilot mindfulness for students class and that was incredibly transformative for me because it was the first time that I really had a container to practice to do a spiritual practice in a way that was um in community it felt sustained it felt nourishing to me and even though it was kind of the classic mindfulness for stress reduction <laughs> so, or not classic but I mean like in our modern context it's like a common way that people start to engage with mindfulness it ultimately led me to um enter into the Plum Village community of Zen Master Thich Nhat Hanh um one of and I ended up living in one of his monasteries when I was in my mid-20s um because I was so enamored and in love with the practice and being in that monastic context was really powerful and ended up leading me to um, want to explore my Christian heritage. And it was the first time that I was exposed to contemplative Christian thought and Christian mysticism. And that just totally blew me open. I was like, oh my God, there's a way that the God that my grandparents loved that I could relate to them in a way that feels contemplative and mystical and magical. Like, oh my God, like that just blew me open. And so I ended up um, eventually pursuing ordination in the United Church of Christ, which is a Protestant denomination. Um, and I went to seminary for a time and then the pandemic hit and everything in my plans kind of went to shit. <laughs> and I ended up dropping out of my seminary program because I couldn't do Zoom school and other reasons. And I ended up going through this process of feeling as though God was pulling me to go even deeper back in my lineage towards what who what did my ancestors know and practice and believe before they knew of Christ and to me that's not an abandonment of Christ and in the same way that I still consider myself a Zen Buddhist practitioner even though I pursued ordination in a Christian context it this all just felt like um like a symbiotic relationship building and so now I'm in a process where I'm familiarizing myself with the ancestral animus practices of my predominantly Western European ancestors, such as through Lara Valeta Vesta's work, um, you know, as you mentioned earlier, and 
yeah, just reattuning myself to the cycles of land and lineage has been incredibly magical. And I would say that now on my spiritual journey, I'm I'm in a really beautiful place where I feel deeply connected to God, um, in part through the contemplative practices that I learned through Buddhism. And it's all nested within this, this, uh, this like context of um, what I now call ancestral animism, you know, which is a term that Lara Veleda um, uses to describe that inclination to be in relationship with the world around us and with our ancestors um, in a way that honors the cycle, the cycles that we all experience within and without. So yeah, that was again, kind of <laughs> a long answer, but hopefully it helps <laughs> to clarify who okay. I am. Love it so much. Thank you. It's really, really beautiful to hear. Yeah, your journey. I think this is something that's been so present for me too. And yeah, I'm just really touched by your willingness to go so deep and really question everything and be open to things just turning out so differently than you had hoped, especially with the pandemic. And still, there it just feels like there's so much clarity in your voice and your commitment. And that's really beautiful to be around. Mm. Um, I would love to hear a little bit more about what divination and dream work means to you at the moment. You're totally right. We are in such a liminal space. And yeah, it's like a daily practice to read into that, right? I don't even know exactly what I'm asking, but I feel like you have an amazing answer. <laughs> I think I pick, I'm picking up what you're putting down, maybe. <laughs> yeah. So uh, dream work and divination for me, um, sort of, as I mentioned earlier, um, at their core, they are relationship building practices to me. And, and by that, I mean that whether we're doing divination through through our dreams or through um, uh, cards or, you know, bones or like whatever, whatever tool we use to practice divination. Um, and I don't necessarily use dream work. I don't call dream work divination necessarily when I'm doing that practice with clients. But I think what it's interesting that you're asking me to expand on both of these practices specifically together in the same question, because I think that they resonate in the sense that they're um they're using they're they both use the language of symbols and imagery um to offer information that the rational mind that works in one plus one equals two a b c d e f g that part of the mind can't comprehend um a lot of information especially when we're in a liminal place because the liminal is just like mega confusing for linear thinking and rational mind um because up is down and down is up and like you don't know where you're going um because the map doesn't matter anymore um and so using divination um and also dream work as a relationship building practice for me means I'm developing a deeper relationship with this moment, with this really confusing place and allowing it to teach me so that I can, um, I can navigate its landscapes, uh, with greater like dignity, sovereignty, um, uh, joy, maybe, <laughs> you know, even when, liminal, when liminality is, is difficult, um, and I guess I should clarify that when I, my definition of divination is rooted in what the term originally meant in the sense that the Latin word divinare, from which divination comes from, it means um, to receive inspiration from the divine. So 
many people have interpreted that as, oh, it means future seeing. And that can, I think that that can, that can happen in the sense that when we have a really deep relationship with both the present moment and the tools that we are using, for example, someone who has used a tarot deck for years and years and years and years and really feels friend like a friendship with that deck, they have a deep relationship with those cards and they're then able to pick up on the subtleties that a stranger can't pick up on, you know, with, with someone that they're talking to, because they they just don't know the, the, how that person talks or moves and all of that. So when you deepen into this present moment with the help of cards that you are also really familiar with, you're in an intimate, you're it's, there's an intimacy with that moment, with those cards that suddenly opens up abundance of world an abundance of worlds. And um insights that would be really hard to come by by just like sitting there trying to calculate the answer <laughs> in a conventional kind of linear thinking way um so for me dream work and divination are super important practices for liminal times such as these because you know um postmodern or sorry like mo modern post enlightenment linear thinking this world has known arguably the most amount of violence that it's ever known since that era like when rationality became the su the supreme god suddenly i would say that the organizing principle of humanity which is to pay reverence to a mystery that is way beyond our comprehension and you and that doesn't mean you have to honor god in like a christian sense i just mean when we started to think that we could figure it all out if we just thought hard enough or you know calculated well enough that we would have it all figured out suddenly world like world wars happened <laughs> you know like within a very short span of time we've completely destroyed the planet in terms of like you know climate collapse and so many beings have been extinct obviously there's tons of social oppression like those aren't coincidences to me those aren't coincidences that in a super rationalist world we have um been we have witnessed and experienced and even you know furthered so much violence um and so divination and dream work which are practices that focus on imagery and symbols that allow for a vast amount of room for the mystery to be present to me that is that offers us so much knowledge that you could never access from linear thinking that ultimately I think helps to place us in right relationship with the world and with ourselves and our communities because we acknowledge with humility that we can't know everything, but we're, we're willing to let the mystery work on us and guide us in ways that we can't justify rationally, but that we still feel, feel is aligned with larger cycles than we can comprehend. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't think I'll go so far as to say that like tarot and divination are like, you know, violence mitigation practices, because there are definitely ways in which both of those things can be used to be really, really harmful. Um, so I'm not going to say that, but I, I, I will say that becoming more comfortable with um, practices that don't depend on linear thinking is a really good way to um, become more comfortable in navigating liminal times and reacquainting ourselves with the mystery that you know, is always there and has always been there and will always be there. Um, and we're not meant to fully understand it, but I do think we're meant to pay homage to it and to fall in love with it to the extent that we can. So yeah, I'll stop there. <laughs> <laughs>
Wow. Yeah, that was exactly what I needed to hear, even though I didn't know that at all when I asked my question. Thank you so much. It makes me feel really curious about um, your initial studies. I think poli-sci is, is probably not what we, I've never heard that before, but I think I understand that to mean you, you study different science subjects. Is that right? Oh, that's interesting. So poli -sci, so um, the major that I ended up major or how to put this, I graduated college with two majors. One was government and one was science and society, which was uh, that last one was a mixture of social sciences. But when I say poli sci in an American context, that usually means political sciences. Oh. So um, yeah, like the study of like how governments function, policies are enacted, that kind of thing. But poli sci with a Y would be <laughs> what you're saying. And there are <laughs> Poly, like there are polytechnical institutes within the yeah. U.S. Um, yeah, I just <laughs> I meant political sciences when I said okay, cool. that. Cool, 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 got it. I'm glad I asked. Thank you. Oh yeah, um, I think you're just putting so beautifully into words um, how I'm feeling about these times and um, what you said about this like expansion into liminality and building almost like a muscle to trust the process and to be comfortable with things that we can't calculate or can't always visibly see or you know perceive in the way that maybe we are used to perceiving other things um it makes me think also about 2020 and about maybe actually I'm taking that in a really different direction than you meant it and I'm open to that but um I've been thinking recently about uh, yeah, and certain times, liminality and trauma responses and how different the shock landed for different people of being in the pandemic in 2020 and how it was, you know, I don't want to minimize the um, severity of it in any way, but I recognized in my body at the time, almost like a famili familiarity with that emergency response of like, oh, I've been here before. At least this is not totally foreign land to me. And now in 2020, we're recording this in 20, December 2022, I'm also noticing sometimes almost like a sense of boredom in my body that I've never known before. Um, I'm not saying that in like, I, you know, hopefully it doesn't sound arrogant, but I don't, I've never thought of myself as someone who easily gets bored because I just love looking at the sky and like reading or taking a bath or whatever. And I'm, but now I feel like, I've been attuned to that emergency response for such a long period of time now that relaxation has gotten a different quality and mm -hmm. there's like beauty and being open to the liminality and like trusting the unseen oh but like you know like now I need to ground a little bit differently into periods of rest that are not as liminal in, in such an emergent that uh, um such a, an acute way I guess than they were in 2020. Mm -hmm. yeah. There's so much that you just said there. I'll just say that I actually am a huge fan of boredom. I'm not very good at practicing it. <laughs> I definitely will distract myself a lot, but um, there's a book by Monica Furlong called Wise Child, um, which is a fabulous book. And uh, a witch mentor woman talks to this young child named Wise Child about how important boredom is for like magic, basically. And just like, let it's it's kind of like, just like, an exhale like you're just letting your system catch up basically and like release um so anyway I love boredom and I also love what you said about well I don't know if you said it quite this way but just like kind of a, a resonance between um like trauma responses and like liminality and um I don't know if that's quite the right way to phrase it but but I think that people who have a relationship with trauma and um you know 
especially people who struggle with like PTSD and experience flashbacks or, um, you know, just have, just have trauma brain in almost any way. It's like, yeah, those, we, we who have that experience are, I think way more familiar with liminal landscapes because literally time doesn't work the same for us as it would for a non-traumatized brain. Like we're suddenly switching between eras of our life and, um, crises like the COVID pandemic, obviously, enacted and exacerbated a lot a lot of trauma and I think that people who in, in my own experience and what I witnessed people who had already had to become find ways to navigate liminal realms within themselves and beyond themselves you know oftentimes because they had sustained some kind of trauma they already had um, some tools I think that supported them in um, weathering the massive global situation that was COVID-19 and again not to make it sound like it was easier for anyone because it was hard for everyone um but for myself as someone who like survived a very very profound mental health collapse a few years before the pandemic hit and um had to really become familiar with like what it meant to navigate liminal realms um I found myself having a lot more like resources than a lot of people that I knew because I was just like this is how I, I got through my own like super intense liminal space. Um, and it, you know, it, it's just, it was just interesting to see the ways in which my own trauma background ended up being, um, it, it offered me a gift basically when I was trying to navigate the pandemic because it, it had already initiated me in such a way that helped me know what could sustain me during a really, really confusing and unpredictable time. So Again, as you said, I'm not trying to romanticize any of this or like make it, I don't know, do hierarchies about who was more impacted or what, but just to say that um, I think that trauma, trauma when tended to in a certain way can, can be a, a really profound teacher in terms of um, uh, a, a, a liminal teacher and like teaching us how to navigate those realms. So yeah, I'll stop there. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't agree more. Thank you. Um, you write really beautifully up on your website about this movement between inner and outer world. And and by the way, your website is so beautiful. I really highly recommend people check it out. It's so, it's just very enchanting. Um, but yeah, if you want to share a little bit more about um, that sense of movement between inner and outer aspects of our practice, I would love to hear. Totally. And I think, I think that actually dovetails really well with like what we were just talking about, which is that... Um, that it, to me inner and outer work they're they're not I don't mean that they're the same because obviously they we do different things when we're you know quote unquote doing outer work and inner work um just in terms of what like we might embody <laughs> embody um like during an, a particular hour that we're doing either but um but I also at the same time do want to say that they're the same <laughs> because there's a line um that I've heard a few people say how we do anything is how we do everything. And um, when when I started my activist work, um, I graduated from college in 2013, and then I was hired to be a social justice educator and organizer in Washington, D.C., working for a nonprofit that had a fabulous mission. I worked with amazing people. I was a mentor for tons of amazing activists who just like blew my mind in terms of what they were doing. Um, but the focus was so externalized, like so focused on like, um, you know, 
the oppressive systems without like or by, by without I mean like out outside of us that um I noticed that it, it actually felt really hard for me and I think a lot of people to really like look inward and be like how are these external systems playing out in me like how do I um how have I internalized those systems in ways that um you know harm me and harm others um and when I started really deepening into my Zen, my Zen Buddhist mindfulness practice, I started to realize the ways in which my practice, it wasn't just like, oh, this is a cool thing for me to do for myself because like I need less stress reduction. And also it's just like, I don't know, nice. Um, I was actually able to be much more present for, for like really difficult conversations when, you know, for example, I'm a white person and um, someone was, you know, trying to help me see like, hey, like what you did there, that, you know, that might have like kind of been a way in which white supremacy was working through you. Like, let's talk about this and um, try to, you know, try to work it out, basically. Like I was able to be way more present for that kind of um, uh, offering from other people to help me live, lean into my values more effectively. Um, I was able to be present for that kind of that kind of conversation way, way more as a result of my spiritual practice than I would have been without the spiritual practice um, that I have. And so that just started to help me really realize the ways in which inner work and outer work, doing one without the other is, um, it's a completely lopsided and I think almost ineffective um, process because when you're doing inner work without any focus or awareness of like how that interplays with larger social and political systems it's a little self-indulgent like in my opinion and um uh just um disconnected like it's not relational and so there are definitely times when we really have to focus on ourselves and take care of ourselves obviously but if we if we do that without a conscious awareness of like I do this for me and also for for the world like then I think I think you really run the risk of veering into kind of navel gazing. I need to constantly improve myself, perfectionism, that kind of thing. And then simultaneously on the other side of the spectrum, if you're just doing outer work without doing any any form of self-reflective work, whether that's through tarot, dream work, therapy, spiritual direction, anything that gives you a container for you to have a mirror, a loving mirror held up to you so that you can really, you know reckon with the good, bad, and the ugly of what is within you, all of that good, bad, and ugly is going to come out in the activism that you do, in the workplace that you work at, like in the relationships that you try to foster, like, because, because it will, like, there's no other, there's no other thing for it to do. So that's why for me, spiritual work feels very much like a political act because in, in supporting people in coming into a deeper, holier, um, fuller relationship with themselves and their understanding of the divine, um, you know, whatever that means for them, that is a relationship building process that they can then emulate in all of the interactions that they have in the quote unquote outer world, such as their friends and their families, their colleagues, their, um, you know, collaborators and movement spaces, all of that. Um, and uh, not to mention just like the world and the animals that we live by. <laughs> um, so yeah, I'll stop there, but I'm happy to expand on on any of that. Thank you. Yeah, that was really good to hear. It makes a lot of sense to me. And yeah, such a dance. I think of it like I really like a dance, and I really appreciate the spaces we both inhabit as 
places where we can feel into you know what can abundance in this way look like and how do we attune and adjust and refine things as we go along Whew. <laughs> um, hmm. yeah I um I feel myself I'm in a moment in time where I'm kind of resisting thinking about the future too much because there's such a strong pull right now as we near the end of the year in the Gregorian calendar and then the beginning of the next one and I'm like no it's time to nap <laughs> let's just chill out at the same time I would like to ask you what you're dreaming about for yourself and for your livelihood maybe for the communities that you're part of and what feels important to you at the moment to orient towards? Yeah, thank you for that that question. And and I totally feel you about like, I'm not super interested in, in like focusing on the future, but I am interested in coming to clarity about the yearnings and desires that I have and um, really feeling into like the 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 ways that I want to feel day to day and also how I, I pray that the world can feel like, like, um, you know, day in and day out. And so, um, for me, when I, when I like feel into that in my body and in my spirit, um, one of the main things that comes up for me is like, is spaciousness. I want to feel spacious. I, and I dream, I dream of a world in which we aren't rushing. We're not hustling. We're not we don't feel claustrophobic in our relationships in uh, like our access to resources in um, you know, our time. Um, I mean, most of us have a relationship with time. That's like, there's never enough of it. There's never enough of it. There's never enough of it. But when you look at so many spiritual traditions, I mean, they work in the scales of eons, <laughs> like, like the scale of existence is massive. Right. And, and, when I feel into that like eternal depth, like that, that the depth that is eternity, um, so many of my anxieties just feel a little bit, not smaller in the sense of less important, but they seem to be, I feel like I'm able to see them in like, they're more in their right size, you know, like the scale, the scale of them. I'm like, okay, okay. I can, I can rel relinquish that anxiety a little bit more. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, when I dream, what I dream for the world and for myself is um, an enormous amount of spaciousness. I really, really hope that we can have the space to rest, to take naps, like, as you said, especially during the winter in this fallow season of the, the earth is resting, the earth is dreaming. Let us do that too, you know? Um, so yeah, that, that's like, that's like the main thing that comes to mind. But I think another thing that really, really hits me. And then, and then the other thing that I am really wanting to um, focus on for myself and like dream, dream into and lean into is this basically the practice of alchemy, which is the practice of um, transmutation and bringing things together in such a way that um like a sacred new unexpected thing emerges from it so rather than being like it has to be all good or it has to be or it's all bad um i want to practice the sacred union that is often talked about talked about in alchemical texts where it's like the sun and the moon come together the quote-unquote masculine the quote-unquote feminine come together to create a being whose gender is neither masculine nor feminine and it's both at once and it's something entirely different and how can we collectively and individually 
um, deep in our practice of transmuting things and developing a, a healthy relationship between the parts of ourselves that feel like they're in conflict with one another. Um, so yeah, spaciousness, which then I think can help facilitate that second thing of like alchemical transmutation. Those are my primary dreams for myself and for the world right now. <laughs> Amazing. So much possibility in those two things. They just can encompass so much. That's, oh yeah, just like, yeah, there's so much creative potential there. Mm -hmm. Ooh, thank you. I could honestly talk to you forever and I would love to talk to you again if you're open to that. Um, because Oh my God, yes. I love a good conversation. <laughs> <laughs> so nice to follow up with people uh, half a year or a year later because there's always so much more. And like the first interview always feels like a beautiful introduction to someone's work and where they're at right now. And then, and then there's always more I want to ask. But for now, um, I would love to hear what you're offering, where people can find you if they want to know more, where you're hanging out. Yeah, yeah. So um, in terms of what I'm offering, um, as you, I think, mentioned at the very start of the podcast, I, I recently, like, quote, unquote, launched my, um, my small business called the Betwixt and Between. So um, I am, I'm now like officially working uh, with folks one on one, um, mostly, mostly on a one on one capacity. I also am um, building out some community offerings where like people can come together in groups. Um, I'll be teaching a class next May and that and other things will come about. But for now, I'm just going to focus on the one-on-one -on -one work because that's like kind of the primary thing. Um, if folks go to my website, which is the betwixtandbetween.com, it's a long thing. You can also just Google my name and like my LinkedIn will come up and then you can find my website that way um, if you can't type that out. Um, my website has all the information about um, how to book sessions with me, either for spiritual direction, dream work, tarot reading, or devotional mentorship. Um, and I really, really love working with people in all sorts of capacities, either like a one-time meeting for a tarot reading to months and months and months um, through like spiritual direction or devotional mentorship or any of those categories that I just shared. So if folks are interested in working one-on-one -on -one with me, they can book sessions through my website. I am not on social media, so the best thing to do to like re remain updated about my work and my happenings and my musings is to sign up for my newsletter, which you can do very easily by scrolling to the bottom of any page on the website. And there's tons of information about my background on the website, so I just encourage people to go to that like virtual home <laughs> of mine to you know become familiar with me. It's a beautiful home, and we'll link to it in the show notes as well. Thank you so much again. It was really, really good to talk to you. I feel both energized and kind of also calm and peaceful and just holding a lot that I want to ponder some more. So thank you so much. Thank you so much. So good to be here.